From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Sui with you on this Tuesday, December the 5th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Israel expands ground campaign into southern Gaza. Chinese and EU leaders are set to meet in Beijing. UN Climate Change Conference addresses money issue. In business, the Chinese government pledges to ease burdens for SMEs. In sports, Jude Bellingham wins the Golden Boy Award. In culture and entertainment, a three-body problem exhibition is being held in Chengdu. Now today's top stories. Israeli forces are continuing their offensive in the Gaza Strip, pressing the ground campaign against Hamas in the south of the enclave after largely gaining control of the north. The Israeli military says the central road out of Gaza's southern city of Han Yunis has become a battlefield, and the road is now shut. In the occupied West Bank, the Palestinian Health Ministry says at least five Palestinians were killed in Israeli attacks on Monday. Israeli authorities say seven civilians and army colonel died in Hamas captivity. And 137 hostages are believed to remain in Gaza. Sarah Coates has more from Tel Aviv. Well, look, a senior Israeli commander has just spoken to army radio saying that Israel's goals in the north have almost been met. With an Israeli spokesperson just posting on X that Gaza's main highway, which is Salah al-Din Road, and which is northeast of Khan Yunus, is now a battle zone. Now, the military also says it's hit around 200 Hamas targets in the last 24 hours, including tunnel shafts and also weapons storage facilities, saying that it's taking aggressive action against Hamas. Now, this comes as the IDF continues to drop leaflets over Khan Yunus, which is down in the south of the Strip, warning people to evacuate now for their own safety. The people down in the south say they have absolutely nowhere to go. 
Now, all of this is coming as rockets continue to be shot right across Israel, down in the south, in the north, on the border with Lebanon, and also right here in Tel Aviv. I was hearing massive booms. These families of these hostages say that they are willing to escalate their actions if negotiations are not resumed. They say they'll seek international help if they are not helped by the Israeli government. Israel has just come out saying that they believe that 137 captives are still being held inside the Gaza Strip. It's understood that these people still have not received a visit from the Red Cross, which was part of that truce agreement, which of course fell through a number of days ago. So certainly very, very worrying for these families who continue to demand action from the government, saying that they have simply not done enough. That was Sarah Coates reporting. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has called for Israel to avoid further action that would worsen the already dire humanitarian situation in Gaza. The number of displaced persons in the Gaza Strip is approaching 1.9 million. That's over 80 percent of the region's population. Bombings and explosions occurred in Gaza's main southern city, Han Yunis, after Israel ordered Palestinians to leave the city. Noor Harazin has more in central Gaza. Well, uh, Khan Yunus is the second biggest city uh, here in the uh, coastal enclave. There is more than half a million people that are residing in the, in the city of Khan Yunus. And over the past uh, weeks, when the IDF asked the Palestinians to flee from northern Gaza to southern Gaza, most of them actually went to the uh, city of Khan Yunus. So now we are talking about more than a million people who are residing in the city of Khan Yunus. Since the latest the humanitarian truce agreement, expired and since then the Israeli army have been um, shelling, targeting, bombing Khan Yunis intensively uh, from uh, air, land and sea. We have been actually hearing heavy shells, uh, shelling and also um, exchange fire. Apparently there is clashes on the ground there between uh, the Palestinian militant fighters and the uh, Israeli forces. For now we can uh, clearly say that the Gaza Strip is uh, actually actually separated to three parts. There is uh, northern Gaza, there is a middle Gaza, which I am uh, there right now, and there is uh, southern Gaza. People here reach the point that they are wondering where should they go. Uh, they cannot go back to their homes in uh, northern Gaza. Uh, they are standard inside southern Gaza. And uh, we're talking about more than 2.3 million people now uh, in an area of 365 square kilometers. This is Gaza Strip. So it is actually impossible to squeeze that many people in such a small area. It is impossible. So people are um, lost, actually. They don't know what to do, what is coming next, adding the fact that uh, they are going through Gaza's worst humanitarian uh, crisis that reached a point where not only the people on the ground, even us, the journalists, the medical teams, uh, the people who are working with international organizations, uh, we do not actually have access to uh, water and um, food. Uh, it, the situation is really bad. There is also the lack of fuel and uh, electricity. Uh, Paltel, which is uh, the uh, main network here, uh, company, main network company here in Gaza, said that they will stop operating because of the heavy Israeli shelling that also destroyed all networks points in uh, Gaza. That was Noor Harazin reporting. The United Nations says the humanitarian situation in Gaza is worsening as Israel has intensified attacks in the south of the enclave. UN spokesperson Stefan Dujerak says aid distribution has largely stopped due to the intensity of hostilities.
Our colleagues in the Office of the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs warned that the current situation does not allow them to address the people's needs in Gaza. Dudirac also says there are growing concerns about waterborne diseases as people continue to use unsafe water, particularly in the north. Meanwhile, the UN's World Food Program is warning of the risk of famine for all of Gaza's people, including those with chronic diseases, the elderly, and children with disabilities. Tensions between Lebanese armed group Hezbollah and Israel have continued on a border between the two countries. Israeli airstrikes on the area have killed Hezbollah fighters as well as civilians. A recent air raid killed a Hezbollah fighter in Lebanese Al-Juban, three kilometers away from the border. Earlier, two civilians were killed in the Lebanese border village of Hola. Israeli forces have been firing heavy artillery towards several areas in Lebanon as a response to Hezbollah's support to Hamas. Coming up, Chinese and EU leaders are set to meet in Beijing. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in. It's eight minutes past the hour. The 24th China-EU summit will be held in and will be held on Thursday in Beijing. Chinese President Xi Jinping will meet with European Council President Charles Michel and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. Spokesperson Wang Wenbin of the Chinese Foreign Ministry notes that a stable China-EU relationship is in line with the interests of both sides. China and the EU are partners, not rivals. The common interests of both sides far outweigh differences. China hopes the summit can serve as an important link connecting past and future. The two sides should enhance understanding and mutual trust through strategic communication, strengthen mutual beneficial cooperation through innovation, discuss solutions through dialogue and consultation, and collaborate to address global challenges. This is in line with two sides' fundamental and long-term interests, as well as the common expectations of the international community. Premier Li Chang will co-chair the meeting with Michelle and van der Leyen. This year marks the 20th anniversary of a comprehensive strategic partnership between China and the EU. Prior to the China-EU summit, senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi has hosted envoys from the bloc and its member states in Beijing. Dong Xue has details. Senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi said that despite challenges, China-EU comprehensive strategic partnership has surpassed two decades, and Beijing pays high significance to the global influence of such a resilient relationship. Wang said under the guidance of leaders of both sides, China-EU exchanges have shown a momentum of comprehensive recovery this year. We've seen a series of high-level official dialogues held one after another and reached a lot of consensus on cooperation and promoted the development of China-EU relations. Wang reiterated that China and the EU should adhere to mutual respect and pragmatically seek common ground to serve their own fundamental interests while contributing to world stability. For his part, the EU head of mission to China said he's appreciated such high-level in-person communication and he's looking forward to the China-EU summit in Beijing later this week. Despite our different political and economic systems, the European Union continues to believe 
that we can similarly pursue constructive and stable relations with China. Both sides agreed to continue communications on the ongoing Hamas-Israel conflict and Ukraine crisis and other regional issues. EU leaders, including Council and European Commission Presidents Charles Michel and Ursula von der Leyen, as well as the bloc's top diplomat Joseph Borrelli, are flying to the Chinese capital for two-day talks on December 7th and 8th. Topics ranging from economic issues to global conflicts are expected to top the agenda. Beijing has repeatedly said that China and the EU are partners, not rivals, and efforts should be made to advance a sound and steady China-EU relationship. That was Dong Xue reporting. European business leaders are expressing optimism about cooperation with China on boosting green development. They made remarks on the sidelines of the China-Europe Cooperation Partnership Dialogue on shaping new growth driver for green development. Yan Exlen is the president of the European Union Chamber of Commerce in China. He says the two sides have huge opportunities in jointly promoting decarbonization. Europe and China really need each other. Uh, we have complementary uh, technologies. There are a lot of technologies that have been implemented in Europe that could also be used in China. And likewise, there's a lot of technology in, in China and not, not least uh, a very significant production capacity in China and ability to scale and, uh, uh, and, and ability to bring down cost that uh, is very uh, important uh, uh, for Europe. Escalan also hopes that China and the EU will take a leadership position in global collaboration for addressing climate change. Christophe Loris is the president of the French Chamber of Commerce in China. He says there are a variety of areas the two countries can explore in promoting green cooperation. It's not only about new vehicles, it's not only about energy transition, it's also about food waste, it's also about plastic, it's also about consumer habits. So there are many things we need to do, not only on the industry level, but also on the services. And I think also there is a lot of cooperation to be had in terms of uh, sociological uh, behavior. We need to, uh, both in Europe, in France and in China, we need to um, explain better to the population and the whys of the energy transition. And that's something we, we, we need to, to both work hand in hand. Jan Hilderbrand is chief representative of the delegation of German industry and commerce in Beijing. He suggested two countries advance cooperation in the areas of carbon footprint reduction and circular economy. If you look at circular economy, uh, Chinese and German car makers are working together to have the EV cars uh, and uh, battery cars, so what, uh, everything that is connected to that, uh, to have a high level of circular uh, recyclability mm -hmm. and then also to reduce the carbon footprint as much as possible. He asked that joint research between Chinese and German students focusing on climate protection and decarbonization can also contribute to promoting green development. About 150 participants attended the event in Beijing on Tuesday, two days ahead of the 24th China-EU summit. As a leading member in the global publishing industry, Springer Nature has extensive business ties with China. Earlier, Yang Shanshan spoke to Niall Thomas, president of Springer Nature Greater China, to learn about his thoughts on China-EU relations. Let's take a listen. Do you think we need enhanced cooperation on science and technology between China and EU? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is exactly what we should do and this is also what we are trying here to do um, with Springer Nature. There is a clear benefit 
in um, international collaboration in science. And I think um, in the long run we will all really see it if we are making, uh, again, researchers from all over the world, especially in the European Union, for example, to work together with Chinese researchers. We can clearly see from our data that um, research that is jointly conducted by, various, by, by diverse teams from Chinese researchers and from researchers from abroad, they are significantly higher in their reception and in their citations and in their usage, which means that the diversity of the different teams coming together really adds something in science. How do you look at the Chinese science and technology development? What's the significance to the world? It, in simple terms, it's an absolute success story if you look at the last couple of years. If you look at, um, like for example, the last 20 years, every year since now, and the trend is continuing, um, the power of the scientific um, output of China is growing very fast. So it's now really, China is now a powerhouse of scientific and re um, uh, research output. I believe um, the data really suggests that by um, starting this year, maybe already in the years before, but we are very sure for this year, the number of output or the, the amount of scientific output from China exceeds all other countries in the world. So what's your company's future plan in China? I still very much believe in um, the Chinese market. Um, we have expanded our offices during the pandemic, so while many other companies were declining from the Chinese market, we opened a new office, for example, in Nanjing in 2020. Um, and in the last year, I think we have um, grown one third of our um, staff, so we added um, um, almost 100 people um, in the last uh, 12 uh, months um, and we will continue our growth story so um, as the science as the scientific output rises it's also necessary that we grow our business here so I have faith um, in this development. That was Yang Shan Shan speaking to Niles Thomas president of Springer Nature Greater China. A high-level symposium with local and international delegates was held in Beijing Monday to commemorate the 75th anniversary of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Again here's Dongxue with the report. Senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi said China opposes politicization of human rights and their use to contain other countries' development. Wang made the remarks during an international symposium on human rights in Beijing. He said China will continue its development to provide a solid foundation for human rights. China achieved the poverty reduction target set by the United Nations for sustainable development by 2030, 10 years ahead of schedule. 1.4 billion people now living in a moderately prosperous society. We've also built the largest education system, social security system and medical system in order to benefit all people. Wang reiterated that security lies at the heart of human rights, with everyone entitled to all the rights of peace and security. We should implement global security initiatives, advocate a new security concept, address complex global security challenges with a win-win mindset, and resolve differences and disputes between countries through dialogue and consultation. This year marks the 75th anniversary of the adoption of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. The conference brought together over 30 high-level government officials and diplomats from around the world to continue to advocate a better system of human rights. 
That was Zhongxue in Beijing. Tuesday marks the 38th International Volunteer Day, an event to acknowledge volunteers and their works. Some young Chinese volunteers made their own contributions to two major sporting events in the country this year, but providing the athletes and other participants with various services. Zhu Tianlu has more. Volunteers at the 19th Asian Games in Hangzhou worked tirelessly to ensure success at the sports gathering. Their roles include assisting with logistics, providing information to visitors, helping with athlete services, and supporting the organizing committee. Lu Tong is the senior student at the Communication University of Zhejiang. She served as an usher that passed the medals to the award presenters during the award ceremony at the Hangzhou Asian Games. Lu says volunteering at the event means a lot to her. It's an opportunity for me both to improve myself and to broaden my views. What's even more special is that as ushers, we get to meet athletes and guests from all around the world, and we are representing China and its younger generation. So it's really meaningful. The ushers and flag bearers received specialized training covering etiquette, civility, award procedures, and mastering the appropriate poses and postures for their roles. Another volunteer, Yue Yue, served as an actress for the event. She says she's excited for being part of the Asian Games. The actors, director, and other crew members made a lot of efforts during rehearsals. But when I realized that I'm a part of the Hangzhou Asian Games and an actor for the event, I just feel honored. I've made a contribution and an essential part of the event. Many university students in Sichuan province also signed up to serve as volunteers at the 31st summer edition of the World University Games in Chengdu. Their jobs range from reception of guests to logistics support and translation services. Luan Chen Yu at Sichuan Agricultural University was responsible for offering help and encouragement for torchbearers during the torch relay. She explained why she chose to become a volunteer for the event. First of all, I think the biggest reason a lot of volunteers like me chose to sign up for this event is that we all love sports and we hope to engage in this sports event by contributing our efforts. Also, I get to enhance various abilities of mine, such as communication skills, teamwork, and problem-solving, which could prove useful for me in daily life. Apart from that, the Universiade is an international event which gathers people from all over the world, so it would be a great opportunity to learn about different cultures and lifestyles to broaden my horizon. Li Zimun at Chengdu University volunteered as an assistant for the sewing center that makes competition uniforms for judo athletes. Li shares the benefits of becoming a volunteer for the event. During the training courses and in doing my duties, I've met many students and teachers who are all very committed to these volunteer jobs. Also, as quite an introverted person, I learned how to express my thoughts and help others, especially the athletes from different countries. What I'm doing may sound trivial, but it's these concerted efforts by many people that can help this event go smoothly. So I think volunteers are indispensable to all kinds of international events, not just in the World University Games. Volunteers in China have been providing a variety of services, not only during sporting events, but also many other occasions, from major global events to local communities. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Zhu Tianlu. Coming up, UN Climate Change Conference addresses money issue.
ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. It's 23 minutes past the hour. Delegates focus on climate finance on the fifth day of the COP28 UN Climate Change Conference. The United Arab Emirates, which is hosting this year's gathering, pledged to mobilize 270 billion US dollars in green finance by 2030. And several development banks made moves to scale up their founding. The Climate Summit has also launched a partnership to mitigate the impacts of climate change on women's livelihood and facilitate their roles in the low-carbon transition. Al Maruki has more in Dubai. He pledged 270 billion US dollars until 2030 in climate financing. This comes as criticism rises over um, the oil-rich country uh, for its um, evasion of um, fossil fuel phasing down or reducing uh, the production. It has been a focus by the COP28 presidency to shed light on gender equality in general when it comes to climate. And that basically by providing three steps. First is to guarantee that there is accessibility uh, for both genders, males and females, into um, the COP negotiations and um, as participants. The second one is to guarantee that finance is reaching out for gender equality projects or focus on it. Again, about 2.9% of all climate finance is focused on gender equality, which is a very low number. And this is one of the missions of this COP, is to boost up this figure at least a bit and guarantee that this will happen uh, over the next time. And finally, a gender, equality, gender data equality, so that it guarantees that there is enough data about women and girls being raised, their impact in society and impact by climate change on them as well. So these three uh, pillars may be uh, f- try to shift the attention into having a more gender uh, equal climate talks this year. That was at Maruki reporting. The UN Climate Summit in Dubai will for the first time devote a day of the talks to public health issues. This comes as Bangladesh battles deadliest outbreak of mosquito-borne dengue fever, which has killed over 1,200 people this year and infected more than 250,000. Abu Hassan is mourning his six-and-a-half-year-old son, one of the victims of the disease. He says a lack of coordinated response in controlling mosquito breeding is causing a higher incidence of the disease. We don't know of any insecticide spraying activity in our locality. There is no management for this. Drainage system development is very poor, and the quality is very low. Professor Kabaru Bashar at Jahangirnar University in Dhaka says climate change is significantly contributing to the rise in seasonal dengue outbreaks in the country. We need to mitigate this problem. We need to solve this problem. And it depends on the climate change. So next COP28, we need to discuss it very intensively on the basis of our country perspectives, not only our country, but also the other tropical and subtropical countries. Leaders of both the World Health Organization and the climate negotiations say they will focus on how climate change is causing death and disease at the Dubai summit. The French sports minister says there's no plan B for the opening ceremony of the Paris 2024 Summer Olympics. Emily O'Day-Castera 
made remarks after a knife and hammer attack near Eiffel Tower at the weekend. She says the authorities have an ad- adjustment variable concerning the number of festival spots allowed around the zone of the opening ceremony and within the French capital. On n'a pas un plan B. We have no plan B. We have a plan in which there are several subplans with a certain number of adjustment variables. That's the case for artistic events, which will only be finalized in the spring. And we have the capability to reduce certain aspects of the artistic program. This is also the case in terms of the limits of the number of people. There are also adjustment variables there. The limits on the number of people will be determined in the spring. We can adjust it. The opening ceremony is expected to be held on the river sign, with several hundreds of thousands of spectators to be witnessing along its banks. The sports minister says the government is not working on mulling a change to the plan and that their preparation work involves the response to security threats. There are also security resources that will be tightened a lot during the Olympic and Paralympic Games. Usually the site of this horrible attack corresponds with the perimeter of interior security and law on terrorism, in which it's possible for us to have extremely strict checks, back checks, identity checks, so these perimeters are highly secure. The attack happened on the Kai de Grenau, a spot included in the plans for the opening ceremony. It left a German tourist dead and two others injured. A 26-year-old suspect has been arrested. Now let's check the weather. Beijing is cloudy overnight with a low of zero. Tomorrow also cloudy with a high of nine. Chongqing is nine this evening. Tomorrow sunny with a high of 18. Lhasa is snowy with a low of minus four overnight. Tomorrow cloudy at nine. Hong Kong is 20 tonight. It'll be Dow tomorrow and 24. Elsewhere, Tokyo is raining and 7 overnight, overcast at 15 on Wednesday. Islamabad will be clear with 7 tonight, tomorrow sunny and 21. Bangkok is 26 with slight rain overnight, then 34 on Wednesday. In Africa, Nairobi will have slight rain with a high of 27 tomorrow. Finally, to Oceania, Sydney is 21 this evening, tomorrow overcast with a high of 25. Auckland is 15 overnight, tomorrow with a slight rain and 20. Port Vila will see slight rain with a high of 29 degrees Celsius. Time for a short break. So far this hour, Israel expands ground campaign into southern Gaza. Sweet with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. I love you. I love you. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Sui with you on this Tuesday, still to come in business. The Chinese government pledges to ease burdens for SMEs. In sports, Judy Bellingham wins the Golden Boy Award. In culture and entertainment, a three-body problem exhibition is being held in Chengdu. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at cgtnradio. 
But first, today's headlines. Here is Zhu Tianlu. Thank you, Sui. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi has signed a condolences book for Henry Kissinger at the U.S. Embassy in Beijing. Wang said Kissinger always believed that China and the United States should peacefully coexist. He urged Washington to do more to improve understanding and strengthen cooperation. Wang also called for action to safeguard the momentum of improvement in bilateral ties. White House officials have warned that the United States is running out of time and money to help Ukraine in its conflict with Russia. White House Budget Director Shalanda Yan says there is no magical pot of funding available to support Ukraine's military and economy. But the U.S. officials also said cutting off funding and the flow of weapons would kneecap Ukraine on the battlefield and increase the likelihood of Russian victory. In October, the Biden administration asked Congress for nearly $106 billion to fund ambitious plans for Ukraine, Israel and the U.S. border security, but it was rejected by the Republicans. The U.S. Congress has approved more than $110 billion for Ukraine since the conflict broke out in 2022, but it has not approved any funds since Republicans took over the House from Democrats in January. Nigerian President Bola Ahmed Tinubu has ordered an investigation after an army drone strike accidentally killed at least 85 civilians on Sunday. The army says the drone was supposed to hit jihadist armed groups but accidentally struck a village in northwestern Kaduna state. Dozens of people remain in hospital. Cuba and Iran have signed a series of bilateral agreements in Tehran. This comes after a rare meeting between Cuban President Miguel Diaz-Canel and his Iranian counterpart Ibrahim Raisi. Diaz-Canel arrived in Tehran on Sunday night for his inaugural visit to the country and the first visit by a Cuban president in 22 years. The invitation, personally extended by Raisi, marks a milestone in diplomatic relations for the two countries. Cuba has been under U.S. embargo since 1962 and, like Iran, is subject to U.S. sanctions. The British government has announced tighter restrictions on legal migration routes after record net migration last year piled pressure on Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. Home Secretary James Cleverley announced a 33% hike in a minimum salary threshold for foreign skilled workers, which is now set at £38,700 or nearly US$49,000. Migration to this country is far too high and needs to come down. And today, and today we are taking more robust action than any other government before in order to bring this down. Cleverly said the new measures were coming to effect next spring. High levels of legal migration have dominated Britain's political landscape for more than a decade. Sunak has promised to exercise more control after lawmakers in his Conservative Party criticised his record ahead of an election due next year. Thousands of protesters have gathered across New Zealand to protest the new centre-right government's policies towards indigenous people. The demonstrations coincided with the opening of parliament and were organised by the political party Te Party Māori. Protesters oppose plans to roll back the use of the Māori language, re- review affirmative action policies and assess how the country's funding treaty document is interpreted in legislation. We're here because we've been protesting for 250 years and we're never going to stop protesting and standing up for the rights of Māori. The people aren't going to stand for Te Tiriti being trodden on. That 
we love Te Tira Te and we're not going to let the government redefine it or take it away. The party's co-leader Rawiri Watiti called for protesters to make their voices heard. The demonstrations disrupted traffic in several cities, including Auckland. Police say they have arrested two people involved in the protests. Chinese authorities say nearly 7,000 people from six countries entered China without a visa on the first three days of the country's new visa exemption policy. The policy covers ordinary passport holders from France, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Spain and Malaysia. Data shows from December the 1st to the 3rd, nearly 18,000 people from the six countries entered China, with visa-exempt entries accounting for 39% of the total. The Chinese Foreign Ministry says it will continue to optimize the visa policy and make travel easier for people from China and other countries. Giant pandas Tiantian and Yangguan have returned to China from Britain after a 12-year loan to the Edinburgh Zoo in Scotland. As Britain's only two giant pandas, the pair left the Scottish capital on Monday and arrived in Chengdu, Sichuan province, Tuesday morning. Despite eight attempts at artificial insemination, the pandas failed to produce a cub during their stay in Scotland. Thank you very much. That was Zhu Tianlu. This is Sui in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, the Chinese government pledges to ease burdens for SMEs. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. It's 37 minutes past the hour turning to business. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland closed lower on Tuesday. Timothy Pope has more. Investor confidence continues to be an issue on the Chinese mainland. Today, the Shanghai Composite Index fell 1.7% and the Shenzhen component lost 2%. And that was despite the better-than-expected service sector data. Um, as you've just been discussing, the Caixin Services PMI expanded at a faster pace in November. Uh, increases uh, were felt in both supply and demand, and that reading of 515 is the strongest result in three months. But it failed to really generate much in the way of positive sentiment. Foreign money outflows were continuing, uh, and that's uh, partly due to external factors, but uh, international investors have been wary. Uh, A Goldman Sachs report released yesterday showed that global hedge funds offloaded Chinese equities for a fourth month in a row in November. But uh, crucially, the pace of outflows did slow, particularly on the uh, Stock Connect links. Uh, Just a net 1.8 billion yuan in foreign capital left uh, Chinese mainland markets via that route last month. Uh, By contrast, uh, at lunchtime today, foreign investors had net sold 4.7 billion yuan worth of A shares. Property stocks continued to feel uh, the most pain in Shanghai and Shenzhen. We saw the CSI real estate sub-index down more than 3%. Uh, developer Gemdale uh, sank also by 3% and China Vanka uh, lost about 3.5%. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hansen Index dropped around 1.9%. In Japan, the Nikkei was down 1.4%. The Ministry of Industry and Information Technology has pledged to ease the burdens of companies further, especially for small and medium-sized firms. Vice Minister Xin Guobin says since the beginning of this year, the ministry has been implementing a special campaign to provide financial support for small and medium-sized enterprises. The vice minister says the ministry will strengthen its oversight and inspection to ensure enterprises get the support they need. In the first 10 months, new tax cuts and fee reductions across the country exceeded 1.6 trillion yuan, or about 225 billion U.S. dollars.
China has handled over 120 billion parcels so far this year. The monthly express delivery volume has been above 10 billion parcels since March, with an average business income over 90 billion yuan or around 12.6 billion U.S. dollars. Bian Zuodong is with the State Post Bureau. He attributes the high volume to the country's economic recovery. China's market sales have grown more rapidly this year, accompanied by a rapid expansion in service consumption, demonstrating the unique advantages of our super-large-scale economy. It not only provides opportunities and space for the courier industry to play its supportive role better, but also offers potential opportunities and vitality for the sustained high-quality development of the express delivery industry. Figures show that online sales of tangible goods stood at around 10 trillion yuan, up over 8 percent. Meanwhile, China's e-commerce logistics index stood at 113.1 points in November, up 1.2 points from a month ago. The sub-indexes tracking the total business volume and rural business volume both increased slightly last month. Authorities say the growth is thanks to the implementation of consumption promotion policies and corporate promotion activities. Gold price has hit a new high in China, reaching 2,145 U.S. dollars per ounce on Monday. Gold analyst Li Yang attributes the surge to the impact of various global factors. The conflict between Israel and Palestine sustained geopolitical tension over the weekend, playing a pivotal role in this rapid rise, along with the Fed's measures in interest rate rise and some monetary loosening policies. The price of gold has surged by over 10% compared to the beginning of this year. Meanwhile, gold sales also hit a new new high in South Korea. Last month, the amount of gold traded in the country exceeded over 1,200 kilograms, the highest since April this year. Chinese authorities have unveiled a national research and development center dedicated to advancing hydrogen fuel cell technology. Zhang Shixuan has more. Hydrogen is a clean fuel that can be extracted from water, and when consumed to generate power, water is the only byproduct. No fossil fuels, no pollution. It is regarded as one of the cleanest energy options, with potential for use even in aviation and shipping. But a couple of issues have so far slowed the widespread adoption of hydrogen power. The first is cost. The cost for hydrogen fuel cells have been lowered from 20,000 yuan per kilowatt in 2015 to 3,500 yuan now. And the usage cost across the fuel cell's entire life cycle is still higher than that in oil-fueled and pure electric ones. We should work on both hardware and the cost for hydrogen itself, including the production and transportation of hydrogen. When the cost for hydrogen reaches 25 yuan per kilograms, and the cost for fuel cells reaches 1,000 yuan per kilowatt, it will be ready for large-scale commercial applications. Lu says to lower the costs, the industry should work on the key materials in battery stacks, and that will be one of the main tasks for the national-level R&D center. Thirteen companies, institutions, and research institutes signed agreements to join the center. The hydrogen fuel cells nowadays require platinum as a catalyst. This is a limited resource. 90% of it comes from South Africa. Only 0.4% is found in China. So it's important for us to develop a new generation of catalysts. China is required to reach its carbon emissions peak and carbon neutrality in a shorter time compared with developed nations. So we need big changes in our energy structure. We have to accelerate our development of new technologies and businesses. 
In 2021, China announced the first batch of demonstration cities for hydrogen-powered vehicle development. Cities in the Yangtze River Delta region, including Shanghai, Suzhou, Nantong, and Jiaxing, were on the list. Shanghai's Jiading District, where the R&D center was announced, has been in the field for more than two decades. It created the first fuel cell industry park in China. In 2021, its revenue already topped more than 10 billion yuan. That was Zhang Shixuan reporting. The value index of imports and exports between China and Central and Eastern European countries came in at 325.8 October, hitting a record high. The index indicates that bilateral trade registered good momentum of growth, containing multiple sub-indexes to gauge the trade scale, trade structure, and trade partners. The trade index presents the development level and future future prospect of imports and exports. Swedish music streaming giant Spotify has announced it's cutting 17% of its workforce, about 1,500 jobs. Chief Executive Daniel Ek says the move is necessary to ensure its company to meet its objectives. Spotify cut staff earlier this year, but these plans are insignificant compared to the latest cut. In its latest results, Spotify had reported a profit of around 70 million U.S. dollars for the three months to September. Australia's current accounts slid into deficit in the September quarter. Data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics on Tuesday showed the current account fell to a deficit of over 100 million US dollars in the third quarter. In the second quarter, the account had a surplus of around 5.2 billion US dollars. The Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank and the French Development Agency will co-host the Financing Commons Summit in China next year to boost climate change financing. The summit will gather over 500 public development banks around the world to promote the effective implementation of the Paris Agreement and achieve the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So far, the summit has successfully run four editions. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, Jude Bellingham wins the Golden Boy Award. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. It's 46 minutes past the hour. Turning to sports, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Sui. Real Madrid midfielder Jude Bellingham has added another trophy to his cabinet after collecting the coveted Golden Boy Award, which recognizes the most impressive young footballer of the last year. Yeah, I think the goals always have to be big. After want to win everything, you know. I think it's normal.、Uh, the expectations huge at a club like Madrid and playing for a country like England as well. So I'm kind of sandwiched in between a lot of pressure, but. You know, it's something that I enjoy. You know, it's a privilege to be able to represent these teams, and you know,、uh, obviously, I can't make any promises, but I'll give absolutely everything I've got to try and help the team win trophies. The 20-year-old has been the standout player since joining Real Madrid in the summer from Borussia Dortmund. So far, the talented midfielder has scored 15 goals in all competitions. In women's football, the second of two friendlies between China and the Team USA will take place on Tuesday in Frisco, Texas. The Americans beat China 3-0 on Saturday in Florida, but as Dan Williams reports, they won't be taking China lightly in the second game. Getting ready for part two of an end-of-year doubleheader between the U.S. and China women's national teams. 
Although China lost the first encounter in Florida 3-0 last weekend, the visitors remain upbeat ahead of the second match in Frisco, Texas. I think we need to accept this result because、uh, we are a very young team, so we need to express our team, yeah, our technique, maybe our physical. It has been a difficult few months for the China women's team. After winning the 2022 Asian Cup, this year they went out of the Women's World Cup in the group stage, and then failed to qualify for next year's Paris Olympics. These matches against the U.S., the world's third-ranked women's team, offers the players crucial experience as they rebuild for the future. I think、uh, the younger player is coming now. We can grow up. Together in the future, and I hope I also hope we can play a lot the game like this. The U.S. is looking to end their year in style, despite enduring a disappointing World Cup where they crashed out in the quarterfinals on penalties to Sweden. The U.S. team has not lost a match in regulation time this year, with 13 wins and four draws. Although the U.S. are heavy favourites to win this match, the team knows they cannot afford to be complacent. China is a very good opponent. It's very difficult to play against teams that sit in a block, are very zonal, very disciplined. This is a team that scored against England, scored against Sweden.、Um, the expectation is that we continue to possess, that we take care of all of our countermeasures, and then. To just、uh, continue to be brave. For both teams, these two matches were more about rebuilding for the future rather than just focusing on the result. Tuesday's game is an opportunity, though, for a player to launch their international career.、But、for one team, victory would ensure they end their year on a high. That was Dan Williams reporting. The English Football Association has charged Manchester City after Erling Haaland and other players surrounded the referee because the match officials failed to play advantage for a potential scoring chance late in a three-all draw with Tottenham. The association alleged the City failed to ensure their players do not behave in a way which is improper. Haaland was particularly angry with the referee Simon Hooper's decision and continued his complaints after the final whistle. He also expressed his frustration in a post on social media when responding to a video of the stoppage time incidents. The FA didn't say Haaland would face separate action for his conduct. In the NBA, All-Star guard Tyrese Halliburton recorded the first triple-double of his career as the surprising Indiana Pacers ousted the Boston Celtics from the in-season tournament with a 122-112 quarterfinal victory. Halliburton finished with 26 points, including a tie-breaking four-point play in the final phase. The Pacers will face Milwaukee or New York in Thursday's semifinal at Las Vegas. The New Orleans Pelicans also progressed to the semifinals after beating the Sacramento Kings. Brandon Ingram scored 30 points and helped the Pelicans erase an early deficit, and they never trailed in the second half. The International Ice Hockey Federation has announced it's making neck guards mandatory for all levels of competition in the tournaments it runs, including the Olympics. The mandate would not apply to professional leagues, though, including the NHL, which currently does not have any cut-proof safety requirements for players. The IIHF's move comes after the death of American Adam Johnson, whose neck was cut by a skate blade during a game in England in late. October, Johnson's death at 29 is being investigated, and the Arnie's tragedy has sparked significant debates around the sport about the need for more protection measures. 
Rafael Nadal has lower expectations for when he returns to the tour after a year out. In a video on social media, Nadal says he expects him from himself not to expect anything and to have the ability not to demand himself what he has demanded throughout his career. Nadal says he's in an unexplored terrain. The Spaniard announced last Friday he will play at the Brisbane International in Australia in January. The 37-year-old has not appeared on tour since last January when he hurt his hip flexor during a loss in the second round of the Australian Open. And finally, 14 U.S. cities will play host to Copa America next summer, with the semifinals in New Jersey and Charlotte ahead of the July 14th championship in Miami. The opening fixture will be played in Atlanta, Georgia. The draw is set for Thursday in Miami. This will be only the second time Copa America has been held outside of South America since the inaugural tournament in 1916. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang. Coming up in culture and entertainment, a three-body problem exhibition is being held in Chengdu. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 52 minutes past the hour, turning to culture and entertainment. An art exhibition based on Chinese sci-fi trilogy The Three-Body Problem is open to the public in Chengdu, creating an immersive experience through multimedia displays and interactive technologies. The immersive art exhibition replicated 13 iconic scenarios in the trilogy, wowing science fiction fans. As a fan of original novels, we have very high expectations for the exhibition. I would say the exhibition is beyond my expectation. Everything I see here is what I imagine would look like when reading the novel. We want the child to have a sense of science and technology, science fiction and even the bigger universe so that she would have more imagination for the future. The three-body problem tells the story of humanity's discovery of and preparation for an alien invasion force from a civilization existing in a three-sun system. It won the Hugo Award for Best Novel at the World Science Fiction Convention in 2015. After his sensational 2019 show at Blue Note Beijing, harmonica virtuoso Sugar Blue is back in town, merging his incredible jazz skills with a love for Chinese culture and traditional instruments. He's set to deliver another unforgettable performance. Leoni Zumer has more. In a spirited homage to the rich legacy of African-American jazz and blues, Sugar Blue and his quartet are back on tour infusing the classic sounds of icons like Funkadelic, Muddy Waters and Billie Holiday with their unique flair, delivering the soulful vibrancy of the harmonica to a live audience. Well, everything is special about coming back to China, but um, particularly getting to see old friends and, um, and, and, work with, and, and meet new friends and uh, work with the people that I love. Born and raised in New York, Sugar Blue's musical journey began on the streets of the Big Apple. He honed his skills by wailing along with the jazz greats and iconic artists like Bob Dylan and Stevie Wonder. I've, I have an opportunity to return to a marvelous venue 
and play for the Chinese people. You know, the Chinese people are so beautiful and so welcoming and warm. I never dreamed that I would actually get the opportunity to be here, to um, visit China, to work with uh, the Chinese musicians. Uh, I've had such amazing possibilities. I look forward to more. Embarking on a musical pilgrimage, the famed harmonica maestro has also come to China on a quest to explore the ancestral roots of his beloved instrument. Amidst the rich tapestry of China's cultural history, he is tracing the echoes of the Sheng, an age-old Chinese instrument believed to be a forefather of the modern harmonica. Uh, the Sheng is, was the first free-swinging reed instrument ever created more than 3,000 years ago. And um, this instrument was copied on the same principle of the free-swinging reed. Actually, saxophones also. Without, without uh, Chinese culture and Chinese creativity, there would be no harmonicas, there would be no saxophones. <laughs> Sugar Blue is an artist who creates unforgettable live concerts with music that truly resonates in your heart. He takes you on a journey through music's deepest identity, embracing its evolution and looking ahead with enthusiasm and a lot of gratitude. That was Leonid Zumer on Sugar Blue's concert in Beijing. Video game fans are getting the first look at the long-awaited sequel of Grand Theft Auto V, which was released more than 10 years ago. Lucia, do you know why you're here? Bad luck, I guess. Rockstar Games dropped the first trailer to the massively hyped Grand Theft Auto VI after it first leaked online. Fans will have to wait a while longer to play it as the release window is set for 2025. Grand Theft Auto VI star Lucia, the franchise's first female protagonist, and takes place in a Miami-inspired Vice City. Lucia is the main character alongside an Ant-Man male lead. A 5,100-year-old dam, complete with a reservoir and spillway, has been identified as China's earliest known water conservancy project. The dam is part of the Chujialing relic site in Jingmen, Hubei Province. It was initially built on the tributary of the Qingmu Downriver, and was later expanded in both height and width. The existing dam is 2 meters tall and measures 180 meters in length. Researchers say the design suggests the ancient people in the area had learned to harness water based on the platform rather than simply implementing measures to defend themselves against floods. Now let's check the weather again. Beijing is cloudy overnight with a high of 0. Tomorrow also cloudy with a high of 9. Chongqing is 9 this evening. Tomorrow sunny with a high of 18. Lhasa is snowy with a low of minus 4 overnight. Tomorrow cloudy at 9. Hong Kong is 20 tonight and it'll be Dow tomorrow and 24. Elsewhere, Tokyo is rainy and 7 overnight, overcast and 15 on Wednesday. Islamabad will be clear with 7 tonight, tomorrow sunny and 21. Bangkok is 26 with slight rain overnight and 34 on Wednesday. In Africa, Nairobi will have slight rain with a high of 27 tomorrow. Finally, to Oceania, Sydney is tw 21 this evening, tomorrow overcast with a high of 25. Auckland is 15 overnight, tomorrow with a slight rain and 20. Port Villa will see slight rain with a high of 29 degrees Celsius. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour Making News Today. Israel expands ground campaign into southern Gaza. Chinese and EU leaders are set to meet in Beijing. On behalf of the staff, and this is Sui in the Chinese capital, hoping it will join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.